There was over 200 fintechs uh, licenses that were approved in 2022, and there's about another 150 that are due to, to be approved in the next year. So really, as I said, catching up very, very strongly. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? So do join me and please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. And do feel free to make contact and say hello. I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions. Send me an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I look forward to hearing from you. Today, I'm chatting with EDC Director Jean Cideris, who is based in our Dubai office and heads our MENA region. We discussed the rapid development of the payment and fintech market in the region as a whole and deep dive three markets in particular, Dubai, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. They all share a lot in common, but as Jean explains, have important differences that sets them apart. Let's dive in. So, Jean, welcome to the uh, show. How are you today? Hello, Martin. Thank you. Yeah, very well. Thank you. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. I see some sun there in London, also here in Dubai. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's uh, it's a very clear blue sky, but very cold here in the UK, but um, very sunny as a result. Perfect. Right. So I'm really looking forward to discussing these topics with you around the MENA region. So before we, we dive into the into the MENA region and the Middle East itself, perhaps you could just kick off with a bit of a personal background and introduction, your role at Edgar Dunn and your, your career up to date. Sure. So I'm uh, based in Dubai. I'm a director uh, in charge of the office here, looking mainly at the MENA region. I joined Edgar Dunn in 2016. Then we opened the office here in 2019, and we have had a very strong growth since then. We have uh, also been uh, very successful in developing very strong relationships in the region with the largest players in the payments ecosystem and the financial services ecosystem. Prior to Edgardan, I spent around 15 years in the schemes. I was first with MasterCard based in Europe, for many years, then I joined Visa here in Dubai, where I was heading the strategy and corporate strategy and uh, for Middle East, uh, Africa, and Eastern Europe. Always been in payments most of my life. And um, yeah, looking forward to talking a bit more about the region here. Great. So yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into some of the specific markets. But perhaps before we do that, just uh, your view on the, on the region in, in general in terms of payments and fintech. How has it evolved and what's the current climate like across the region in general? So first thing is, you know, MENA is quite a large region which, with very different geographies and very different developments in terms of payment ecosystems and fintechs and also catering for very different needs of the populations in each of the country. So if I want to simplify a little bit, we would have... I would say the, the Gulf region, which is focusing a lot on oil and gas produ- production, as well as uh, has become 
over the years, uh, an international hub for financial services, uh, mainly uh, Dubai, Bahrain in the past, also more and more uh, Riyadh and Saudi Arabia, where the say the payments ecosystem is quite mature with a lot of uh, card usage, digital payments usage, many things driven by the central banks and centralized government agencies. And then on the other side, you have say countries that are a bit less developed historically that are catching up very quickly, where there is also a large population that is either unbanked or underbanked and you know are looking at getting solutions for entering the financial services and uh, being able to uh, get, first of all, uh, basic features such as send and receive money, access to credit, uh, to savings, make payments, things like that. So overall, I would say over the last few years, and especially since COVID, we've seen a very strong acceleration in growth in across all regions, actually. There's been a, a lot of digitalization that's happening. We've seen countries that have taken Apple Pay and Google Pay and all these have had tremendous growth. I think Saudi and the UAE are among the top countries in the world in terms of Apple Pay usage. And this goes in pair also with the development of uh, e-commerce. Uh, historically, you, you used to have a lot of pay, uh, pay cash and delivery for e-commerce purchases, which now is more and more digitalized. And since COVID, it's fully digitalized in some countries. And this obviously is driven and drives at the same time the development of fintechs in the e-commerce space, but also in the wallet space, in the buy now pay data space, in the credit scoring space, in, in all kind of the areas that are used and around the wallets ecosystem, we've seen very large fintechs have been very successful. You know, the, in Egypt, you have Fari, which is the third unicorn in Africa, which was started many years ago, and now has uh, you know become a unicorn and is driving uh, a lot of the change in Egypt. And overall, what we also see is where you you mentioned before that. Been a slowdown in investments in, in Europe and in the US, especially. It hasn't actually been the case here in the region. We've seen a lot of investments, a lot of spin offs, both from say, private equity firms within the region, but also international private equity firms into the region. And uh, we've been very busy, and we've been very lucky to be very busy with you know, very large deals and um, you know, uh, looking very, very good in the future. Uh, especially for the next few years. So the three kind of main geographies or, or markets that perhaps we might just explore in a bit more detail, Egypt, the UAE, and the KSA, Saudi Arabia. Hey, can you perhaps just start off with, with Dubai and the UAE region and just try and paint a, a picture of what, what um, the payments and, and, and fintech space is like there? I mean, how's it come on over the, over the five or six years that you've been present there? you say? So Dubai is, as you can imagine, is very dynamic and not only payments, but in anything they do. And they're very strong in attracting talent and investments from abroad. Dubai has become probably the biggest hub for fintechs in the region. It's driven by two sub-hubs. It's DIFC based in Dubai and EDGM based in Abu Dhabi, which are hubs that provide to fintechs favorable conditions for opening up licenses and operating 
also providing sandboxes and allowing actually the development of the solutions. And so that's one thing. Then the second part is also a strong drive by governmental agencies, whether it's Ministry of Finance, the Central Bank, or the National uh, Federal Tax Authority, which drive very large initiatives. So for instance, the Central Bank of the UE is going to be uh, launching instant payments platform next year in 2023. There's also uh, new platforms being developed by the Federal Tax Authority on VAT that is going to be, I think is already live or should be live soon. And they also have other enhancements in the pipe around making business easier on the B2B space. So I would say there's also a lot of fintechs that have emerged that are active in the UAE, in the say, e- e-commerce space, but also in international payments, uh, remittances, payment gateways, buy now, pay later. Say all the typical areas you, you find growing globally are, are present here. And you, know, you have some very healthy fintechs that are doing pretty well. And so, so that's sort of the grassroots startup scene. That's really interesting. But in terms of the established bank, the incumbent banks, and the um, those players, how are they responding to the to the the fintech fintechs and, and the sort of the opportunity of the market? Right. So, in terms of traditional banks, say there's uh, in the UE, there's probably around forty banks in the country, but probably about you know less than ten that are really the large ones. And if you look, first of all, on the acquiring business, there's three that are actually the big big three, which is Network International, Mashrek, which is now being spinned off to Neopay, and Magnati, which was a spin-off from First Abu Dhabi Bank. These are the three largest acquirers. And they're also actually involved in transaction processing, both for issuers and other acquirers or merchants. These are companies that have actually gone through investment rounds or are about to go probably soon, and are also looking to investing and diverging in, in other countries and in the GCC and beyond in MIDA. So this is, I would say, the traditional three largest suppliers. And we also have some new entrants coming, FinTech. We have uh, Avian that is also present in the UE. We have Stripe that is also Asian present in the UE. And the, they have, I would say, uh, their, their particular model, which is you know, less generalist, but rather, you know, targeting some more niche merchants, either smaller merchants or following uh, European merchants into, into the region. On the issuing side, many banks have actually developed digital banks. So open banking is not yet the same regulation, regulatory level as we see in Europe. So it is for the moment still uh, digital banks that are operated by the largest UAE banks. We've seen some say, newcomers, so independent digital banks that are starting, as well as some digital wallets that are non-banks, but provide some level of payment services and financial services. These are really active on the remittances side also. And one of the characteristics of GCC countries is the high level of uh, expatriate uh, population, especially blue collars that need to remit and send back either to Southeast Asia, to Africa, or to the rest of Mina. And these populations, typically in the UAE, doesn't have very good access to the banking or to traditional banking services. So they tend to be provided with what we call um, WPS prepaid cards. So it's kind of a 
salary salary cards or wage cards uh, that allow them to then be provided digital services through uh, financial exchange houses and allow them to to remit back home. So that is really the the ecosystem on on the issuing side. Interesting. And uh, in terms of the you know, the next five years, ten years for, for the Dubai region, uh, is I mean, you mentioned the government initiatives. Is there a 20, the twenty thirty transformation plan? Does that feature highly? And and um, can you comment on that on, on on those policies? I think the twenty thirty is Saudi vision. It's a Saudi twenty thirty vision. I think the the, the light motif in the UAE in general is uh, uh, grow and be the best at anything you, you do or try at least. So I don't think they need a 2030 vision, although maybe they have, but it is, you know, a growing uh, and initiatives that are happening all the time. So it's very, very strong uh, drive in, in this country. Okay, so maybe we can switch over to the, the Saudi market and, and talk about that 2030 vision or perhaps just the, the market in, in general. Can you elaborate on on the Saudi market? Sure. So Saudi is, I would say, probably was a bit behind a few years ago, but has had a tremendous growth, especially through COVID. I mentioned the launch of Apple Pay a few years ago, which I think has reached amazing proportion in terms of penetration. And people are really using a lot more digital services. So similarly with UE, you do have government-led initiatives. So historically, it was driven by SAMA, which is a central bank of Saudi. They started by enhancing the domestic debit scheme that was called SPAN. That had, say, uh, was not very, very successful. It had a negative interchange and uh, was not very popular. Ed Gedan was involved actually with SAMA uh, many years ago to transform that and uh, launch the new debit scheme called MADA which has a very strong success. It has a say, traditional business model with a positive interchange. It has successfully, co- is successfully co-badged with the main international card scheme, such as Visa and MasterCard. And um, SAMA was then created a, a separate entity called Saudi Payments, which took over MADA and the, I would say the card scheme, uh, but also other national switches such as Sadaq, and has concentrated, I would say, the, the payment ecosystem under its uh, its uh, logo. So Saudi payment is now driving the various initiatives. Contrary to some other countries, Saudi payments is also still heavily involved in the transaction processing, uh, and then dispatch it either to issue or to the international card schemes. So it is, I would say, more entrenched in the uh, domestic processing than other domestic schemes you would have in the region or globally. They've also developed sandboxes and regulatory frameworks to attract fintechs. I think there was over 200 fintechs uh, licenses that were approved in 2022. And there's about another 150 that are due to, to be approved in the next year. So really, as I said, catching up very, very strongly. And uh, there is also another interesting initiative that goes with the 2030 vision, which is the creation of NEOM, which is a a separate, I would say, entity within the kingdom that will see some breakthrough innovation in all kinds of sectors, and not only payments, but payments will be one of them. And uh, we look forward to see you know, what's going to happen there. It's uh, 
very ambitious and uh, you've seen some uh, um, work that has already started in creating the line which is the first say major milestone city in the desert that would be in 100 and over 100 kilometers long and only few hundred meters wide would be covered with mirrors and by the sea and across the desert and would certainly feature some uh, of the latest innovation on, on fintechs and, and, and digital payments. Okay, that's fascinating. Absolutely. So in terms of Egypt, is that, um, you know, let, let's dive into the Egypt context. Uh, how would you characterize the, the, the state of the Egyptian market from a payments and fintech point of view? So Egypt is slightly different in historical context. First of all, it's not a, a large petrol and gas producer. So we uh, have a, a lot of funds to develop major infrastructure projects historically. And there is also a very large population that is still uh, unbanked or underbanked. So when we started working with the Central Bank of Egypt and the EBC, which is a domestic payment company, back in 2017, I remember at the time uh, the financial inclusion level was around 20%. 20% of people had a bank account and um, an all card, which usually went together. And then the, the Central Bank of Egypt had a very important role in transformation, the, the financial services ecosystem, especially the payments. So first of all, it created a, a domestic card scheme called MISA, which was launched in 2019, if I recall, and which Ergadan supported uh, to, to do that. I believe now we probably have more than 20 million cards of MISA cards in circulation in Egypt, which is you know, a huge progress. Then they also developed the, the centralized interconnection hub for wallets called MISA Digital, which allows various wallets, telecom wallets or banking wallets to be interconnected and to be able to send and receive money across wallets rather than being a closed loop that you, you may have in other countries. Then they launched instant payment platform in 2022, so it was earlier this year, which is the first uh, instant payment platform that integrates not only wallets and uh, bank transfers, but also cards. Phase one will only feature, I think, prepaid cards, but over time, it will also integrate other type of cards, whether it's debit or credit cards that are out there. And again, Edgadan helped them uh, develop that platform. Then we also supported them in developing a centralized eKYC platform that would facilitate the digital KYC and onboarding for the various digital wallets or financial wallets from banks or telecom wallets or independent wallets. And you've also seen a very strong uh, fintech growth. I mentioned about Fari before, which is you know a very successful fintech. They provide various services such as bill payments to the overall Egyptian population through deals that they have with, uh, with uh, small retailers and small shops across the country. They provide wallet, they provide various other digital services. They also provide infrastructure solutions for other wallets to be able to, to go live uh, in, a, in a kind of turnkey manner. So very strong. We also have a, another interesting company called Tipay that is providing digital carry billing solutions in Egypt and across MENA and also SSA. 
uh, which essentially enables merchants, digital merchants, e-commerce merchants, to be able to sell services through mobile phone subscriptions, whether it's prepaid or postpaid. And we also see uh, the, the, the large telecommunications companies in Egypt uh, that are very active in developing the more uh, complex wallet solutions and providing more and more services, such as Tisela from Egypt and others, and Vodafone. So really a very dynamic country with very strong perspective. And I would say discussing with international private equity firms, there's always, I would say, very strong interest in Egypt. It's a country over 100 million inhabitants with you know, uh, very strong achievements over the last few years that are attracting a lot of attention. Now, on, that, on that note, perhaps we can just talk a bit about um, the sort of international private equity community and their interest in the region and their level of activity. I mean, you mentioned there's, there's always been a um, high level of interest in Egypt. Is, is that the same across the other markets you mentioned? Or perhaps you can give some color to the private equity Absolutely. So I think 2022 has been a strongest years for EBITDA in terms of M&A activity across the region and, and the region, the wide region, so Middle East and Africa in general. There is a lot happening in the GCC space. I mentioned before, there was a spin-off of Magnati, a large acquirer. There a, was a spin-off of uh, Neobank from Mashrek. There are, you know, large FX companies that are looking to, to do an IPO in the future. And we've been involved in many of these, and this goes beyond Middle East. So there's also a lot of M&A activity happening in, in Africa. So we've been involved all across, I would say, in Western Africa. We've seen some traction there, which historically was low, lower interest. We've seen a lot of love of interest in Nigeria, obviously being a huge country with a huge population, but you know, a very successful companies uh, driving you know the whole ecosystem uh, in Nigeria, and also I would say in Eastern Africa, uh, you know, in the I would say in the Kenya uh, area, we've seen also a lot of traction and activity happening there. So overall, uh, as I said before. Whereas you've seen some slowdown in other regions, here it's the contrary, it's accelerating. I guess people are seeing finally that, you know, things are happening quickly and transforming quickly and, you know, it's the right time to jump on the boat. Yeah, so it continues to be a very dynamic region, right? But in terms of the, the fintech payments valuations that we've seen obviously collapsing in Western Europe or in North America and elsewhere, how have they fared in the, in the MENA region? Are the valuations maintaining their levels? So some of the recent valuation we've seen were very, very high. I think were surprisingly high, probably even higher than what people expected. So uh, again, as I said, it goes together with the interest and the belief of future transformation and future growth. For many, many years, MENA and MIA in general, you know, were lagging behind uh, in terms of infrastructure and initiatives and now we actually start to see the, the impact of all these investments in fintech. Of course, there's still a lot to do, but actually that's why it drives valuation high because there is so much potential still there. But you can see you can see that people actually start using all the solutions, whether it's consumers or, or, or retailers or for B2B or B2C, 
you see that the traction is there. Interesting. So that sort of capital that's maybe rotating out of other markets into the into the MENA region is is here to stay. You would say. I mean, those the the, the trends. Is, uh, I mean, you've, you're kind of suggesting there's a, a, a kind of inflection point in terms of maturity and the development for the market and the the view going forward is fairly clear and the trends are strong in terms of onward development. The trend is strong. Then, of course, you know, not everybody will succeed. But, uh, you know, that's a question of strategy and go-to-market and uh, implementation. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the trend is, is strong. Now, you could argue, you know, what about the, the global recession and, you know, the geopolitical situation? How would that impact that? So we've seen, I would say there's this probably two types of countries in, in the region again, driven by the gas and, uh, and petrol. So the large petrol and gas producers haven't seen a downturn so far. On the contrary, you know, with the price uh, going up, it's actually fueling the economy and, and growth. So they're doing pretty well. And they're actually one of the strong drivers of, of M&As in the region. So many sovereign funds and GCC countries are investing across GCC and outside of GCC. So, so we see a lot of interest there. Other countries have seen, you know, more of a recession, inflation uh, being higher because of goods being imported and, you know, price of goods being higher because of all the petrol prices and, and the Ukraine crisis and the, the higher prices in, in trade in general. There are risks of uh, high inflation and devaluation in some countries. So that is obviously could be some slowdown, especially I would say uh, from international investors, as they might get more nervous in terms of, you know, how do they get the money out and the dividends out of the countries if the countries are hit hardly. But in terms of, I would say, local investment, that remains, right? Because it stays within the country and uh, the growth is still there. So, yeah, it's um, still a bit uncertain or, you know, what would be the, the total outlook over the next few years. But um, certainly, um, you know, there, there is still a, a lot of interest to, to, to investigate. Interesting. So my final topic, uh, Jean, really is around, uh, I think you mentioned earlier on around that not all players will win, right? So it takes about, it's, it's about um, not only the developing the right strategy, but converting that strategy and executing it. And um, in terms of, you know, what it takes to execute uh, in the region, you know, what, what would you say is, what, what, does, what are the kind of, um, what are sort of leaders, sort of the, the successful companies doing right in terms of uh, executing their strategy in, in the MENA region? What does it take to succeed in the region? So there's multiple factors, obviously. I think you need a good level of expertise whether in-house or outdoors uh, with the right partners to help you understand exactly what you need to do and what you need not to do. You need a focus, I would say a centralized drive and focus from uh, national agencies such as central banks that help a lot, you know, steer the various uh, fintechs and, and traditional players towards, you know, the right goals. and. Um, then in terms of execution, you know, there are no surprises. You need to be focused. You need to understand your clients. Uh, you need to understand your client needs. You need to understand your client's 
pricing sensitivity, and you need to find the right partnership to provide the right solution at the right time at the right price. Would you characterize the region as very collaborative? I mean, it is partner, you mentioned partnership. Is that a, is that a strong uh, driving force that, that things get done through collaboration? You know, perhaps sort of international players coming in, trying to do things by themselves, just exclusively on their own, perhaps less successful than, than those who actually try and collaborate locally and work together. Is that a feature of the region? I think partnerships is well embedded within the region, not only for, from local players, but also international players. We've seen international players coming in the region. They immediately will partner with the right players to actually accelerate you know, the penetration and, and growth in the region. So we also see a lot of collaboration between traditional players, banking sector and fintechs. And I would say the willingness to partnership is on both sides. They understand you know, the benefits of working together rather than you know developing anything in in on their own and going to market on their own so this is something that is working generally very well and it's key not only in MENA but globally and yeah i think that's that's the main points to to succeed uh, the other i would say the other thing is strong interpersonal relationship you know it is important in the local culture to understand your clients and your your partners and you know to to be close to them and and have regular dialogues and discussions so that you know these drives a, a successful point. Fantastic, Sean. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Just in terms of uh, contacting you, what's the best way of reaching out to you? So the easiest way, I guess, is LinkedIn. But otherwise, you can go to the Edgardan website, and uh, you'll find me there as well. Perfect. I'll leave all your contact details in the show notes so uh, people can reach out to you directly. Well, again, thank you very much again uh, today and um, wishing you all the best. Thank you, Martin. It was lovely speaking with you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there. Or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.